Welcome to this podcast from the GI Cancer Sessions on VJ Oncology. In this episode, we hear from Jeffrey Koo and Sam Klempner, two leading experts in gastrointestinal cancer, as they discuss the latest updates in upper GI cancers from ESMO 2022. So welcome to the upper GI section at ESMO 2022. My name is Jeffrey Koo. I'm a GI medical oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I'm pleased to be standing next to my friend and colleague, Hey, I'm Sam Klempner. I'm a GI medical oncologist at Mass General in Boston, Massachusetts. And so the topic today really is what, what advances or what are the latest updates in upper GI cancers here at ESMO. Um, so maybe I'll start off with um, a um, mini oral presentation that I gave uh, focusing on updated data from Destiny Gastric 02, uh, which is a second line study of trastuzumab deruxtecan or TDXD. Um, in patients with HER2-positive esophageal gastric cancer who previously received a trastuzumab-containing regimen. Uh, this was a purely Western population enrolling in North America as well as Western Europe. Uh, the initial data actually were presented at ESMO last year, and in this update, uh, we essentially confirmed the high activity of the regimen. Uh, the response rate is 41.8%. We are also able to estimate for the first time median overall survival of 12.1 months. Toxicities are otherwise as previously reported and consistent with the known toxicities of TDXD. In particular, it is important for clinicians to be aware of the risk of interstitial lung disease and pneumonitis, because unfortunately, uh, there were two patients on this study who had fatal events. Uh, Sam. Yeah, Jeff, I, I think it was great to see you presenting that data. It's certainly important, and I think it does kind of highlight the activity of this drug in the second line space. and. Also, I thought it was an excellent point by the discussant that it would be wonderful to see this drug become available um, to our European colleagues. In the United States, we're lucky enough to have access to TDXD in second line and beyond. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, it is interesting that in the U.S., um, uh, TDXD actually was approved not on the basis of this study, but on the basis of Destiny Gastric 01, which, as you know, was an East Asian study that actually was a randomized study looking at TDXD versus um, Daedalus choice of chemotherapy in the third line setting. So it's interesting that, that the U.S. accepted XUS data uh, in the third line setting um, and, and approved it as post-trastuzumab therapy, which means really it can be given a second line therapy, which I think many of us are, are, are doing. Um, I'm sure you know also that you know, there is a, globally outside of the U.S., there is a phase three study, Destiny Gastric 04, which is a randomization between TDXD and you know, the standard of care, which is remisurumab pacotaxel. I think there are many places in the world that await or require the results of a randomized study uh, in, order to, in order for um, regulatory approval in the second line setting. Yeah, I think that, I agree. I think that will be an important trial. It's also a nice way for some of the um, participating sites to gain access to ramucirumab, which is also not approved in, unfortunately, many of these countries. Right. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we did see some other maybe not as exciting evidence in the second line space for gastroesophageal adenocarcinomas, which, which has been quite a difficult um, space to enter in drug development due to the poor prognosis of these patients. But uh, we did see a recent presentation for a trial called the Duragast, uh, which was asking the question of whether or not combining PD-1 or PD-1 plus CTLA-4 on top of second-line chemotherapy with Fulfiri would improve the progression-free survival rate at four months. 
And unfortunately, neither arm met the pre-specified um, signal, which was 70% uh, progression-free survival at four months. And it's just another data set that unfortunately reminds us how difficult it is to move into this space. And, and these were actually all PDL1 and PD1 treated naive patients, right? So I, I think I mean I think what's also I think challenging about interpreting those results is that you know they use Falfiri as a as a backbone. I think we just mentioned that I think you know most people certainly I think in North America and and um, and Asia people we would consider remdesivir and paclitaxel to be the standard of care. Now Falfiri is probably as active as paclitaxel, but I think without the remdesivir component, it, it does make it a, you know a little bit challenging. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the results of Durugas before this. I mean, one thing that was interesting is that in the patients who received Falfiri, Develimab, and Tremolimumab, the median overall survival was, you know, strikingly long at 13 months. But again, this is a small data set, and at this point, we don't have any any biomarker data at all. You know, all you need would be a couple of patients with, you know, MSI or, or EBV positive tumors, and, and that certainly could drive, you know, all of the benefit. Yeah, I think it, it, it's all about biomarkers, and, and speaking of biomarkers, you know, we can maybe talk a little bit about some of the first-line trials, and um, I'll talk a little bit about a, a poster that we're presenting, which is a, perhaps a, a biomarker that will become more relevant if the data continues to look promising. But um, as we know, there's a large proportion of patients who are pdl one positive or pdl one negative who, who may not be getting the significant degrees of benefit from the addition of PD-1 on top of chemo. So one of the areas of interest is other biomarkers. and. DKK1 expression um, may be an indicator of sort of a more immunosuppressive microenvironment that is potentially targetable. Uh, so there is an IgG monoclonal antibody called DKN01, which has previously shown activity in second line and beyond patients in combination with pembrolizumab. And the notable activity was in the biomarker enriched patients, the DKK1 high patients. And so based off of that, this was moved into the front line in a cohort of a phase one, two trial um, called Distinguish. And really in the KPOX plus Tistilizumab, another PD-1 drug, plus DKN01 arm, the response rate in the DKK1 high patients was 90%. And this is certainly very encouraging in a small cohort and does go to support the ability to perhaps enrich for responding patients with this DKK1 biomarker. And now this will move to a randomized phase two versus Fulfox or KPOX plus Tisilizumab to see if these findings will hold in a larger 160 patient population. So, so this is actually a great opportunity for you to educate me. So DKK, is it some kind of immune uh, checkpoint molecule? And, and, and what's the, you know, what's the incidence in the high expressors? I mean, yeah. How, yeah. So DKK1 is a protein that is expressed primarily on tumor cells and much less so in immune cells. Um, high expression, at least in the screening patients coming on to the study in the first line, was about 57%. So if that prevalence holds true, then that would be very encouraging yeah. for a large biomarker-selected population. Yeah. The effects of DKK1 um, circulating DKK1 and DKK1 expression on tumors, I think, are incompletely elucidated. It is clearly has some immunosuppressive roles in that it promotes MDSC and Tregs um, and may um, help exclude T cells from the microenvironment. And there may be some direct tumor promoting effects when circulating DKK1 binds its receptor and via CCAP4 and directly stimulate tumor proliferation. So it's 
Similar to some other modulatory agents, there are probably multifactorial mechanisms. Okay. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And any data about co-expression with, for example, PDL1, HER2, any kind of clinical pathologic um, correlates? I mean, is it more common in diffuse or intestinal, anything yeah. like that? It's a really, it's a really good point. So the um, the frontline population was all adenocarcinomas of GE junction and gastric. There is few diffuse patients. Um, we don't know about the diffuse versus intestinal, but what we do know, and one of the immediate questions that came up during the frontline cohort was, are you just marking patients who were going to respond to checkpoint inhibitors anyway? And so it's pretty clear that DKK1 and PDL1 expression do not have a relationship, um, and there was you know, the distribution you would expect from a frontline population, it did not appear to enrich for any subset. And among the responders, when we tried to make statistical comparisons in the small cohort, there was no uh, relationship between uh, the two biomarkers. Okay. Um, so it, it seems that these are independent. We don't have data for HER2. There was only one, no MSI patients that were known to be MSI in the trial, so it may be um, not very common in MSI high, but we don't really know that from large series yet. Okay, well, that's really interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, in the last couple of years, I've seen the data set, you know, kind of de development become more enriched. I think the randomized phase two study will be really exciting, and certainly here's hopeful. I mean, here's hoping that you know you, you recapitulate some of the data that you're seeing in, in the single arm studies, and and potentially this can become a validated biomarker. Um, you know, I think you know, you know, others may know that you know other biomarkers that are being looked at in the first line setting are Claudin 18.2, FGFR2. Uh, no real data presented on on any of those. At at this conference, but certainly it'd be great. I mean, if we have more biomarkers selected populations. Yeah, I think we're we're all eagerly awaiting those phase three trials. Uh, hopefully, in the somewhat near future. What did you think of this other frontline data set of this uh, German Moonlight investigator-sponsored trial? Um, sort of asking the question about adding dual checkpoint on top of frontline full right. fox versus sequencing. Yeah, no, it's interesting, actually. I mean, I was when we talked about Duragas, which essentially is looking, I mean, it's, it's kind of asking a question of combination PD-1, PD-1, PD-L1, and CTLA-4 plus chemotherapy. Um, you know, Moonlight is also looking at that. I mean, my understanding is that it's a multi-arm design, uh, and they're only just presenting two arms, but the, but the two arms were um, so, so concurrent full fox with ipilimumab and nivolumab, in other words, building on on uh, the Checkmate 649 data by adding a CTLA-4 antibody, or kind of something that people have talked about before, you know, with a sequential design um, uh, and the theoretical reasons why that may be a good idea, but full FOX followed by Ipinevo. Um, again, I mean, you know, they, they, these are small data sets and it's hard to, you know, generalize too much, but it certainly seemed like the sequential design, so full FOX followed by Ipinevo was not good. I mean, you know, the response rate in PFS certainly, uh, you know, worse than full FOX, significantly worse than, than nivolumab full FOX. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we've seen kind of a, attempts at, at like switch maintenance or maintenance type strategies not quite pan out the way we were hoping. I mean, getting back to the sort of common theme of biomarkers, you know, I think we all thought when the Avelumab data came out that perhaps if they had only selected for PDL1 positive patients at a, maybe a certain cutoff, they might have seen a positive result. And, and perhaps there are some patients that could 
benefit from a strategy like that, but it'll be interesting to see tomorrow when the full data is, is presented, if Dr. Lorenzen has any thoughts about selection strategies for future maintenance strat. Yeah, and, and I think even the, even the combination, even the Ipinevo arm with Fulfox, I mean, again, these are, you know, these are small data sets and I think we have to be cautious, but on the surface of it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, kind of a strong, you know, a signal. I mean, the, the response rate uh, and even the PFS certainly seem in line with nivolumab Fulfox. Yeah, I think um, themes of the conference continue to be biomarker development and, and really best patient, best drug, but, you know, really patient selection for our trials to really improve the outcomes. Right, and maybe the last thing, last question I'll leave as a rhetorical one is, you know, are the days of CTLA-4 and p one pd one I mean, is that doublet, you know, um, uh, is that doublet played out? It certainly never had, you know, led to a regulatory approval in esophagogastric, uh, but certainly I think given the toxicities of CTLA-4 therapy and, you know, other, you know, other, um, other targets on the horizon, lag three, Tigit, you know, I think, you know, maybe we may be moving beyond that doublet. Yeah, I, I agree with you, um, except I was curious about the subset of the MSI patients from 649 where they had some Ipinevo versus Folfox Nevo data presented and the Ipinevo data is, is interesting to look at, but hard to say that you would take a frontline MSI patient and do something other than right. PD-1 versus chemo plus PD-1. Right. So, you know, I think it's safe to say that, I mean, I think the theme of many of these conferences is biomarker development. I think it really, it really remains imperative that we better understand the patients who are benefiting from our treatment, certainly immunotherapy, but I mean, even cytotoxic chemotherapy, we, even to this day, you know, we don't have good biomarkers. Um, I think the second line space, you know, remains um, extremely challenging uh, in terms of drug development for esophagogastric. Uh, I do think that, 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 that TDXD, um, you know, will eventually have a clear role in the second line space based on phase three data. But again, in the U.S. at this point, um, you know, the, the drug is approved uh, for as post-progression, sorry, as post-trastuzumab progression therapy, uh, meaning that it can be given in second or third line. Yeah, I, I'm with you and I think that hopefully with better drugs, we can revisit some of the targets where the results have perhaps not been as encouraging and we just get better at understanding the biology and picking the patients. I know we're both involved in some EGFR and we've talked and thought about revisiting MET. Can we really select the patients who that strategy may be viable? These are good questions for the future and hopefully, you know, future discussions together at another ESMO conference. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think that's a great question. I think, I think, you know, pairing a better drug with a biomarker is probably a more fruitful strategy than pairing a mediocre drug with a biomarker. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe for more on your favorite podcast app, including Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. And why not check out the other GI cancer sessions over on vjoncology.com? Follow us on Twitter at vjoncology for the latest updates in oncology research and clinical practice, and find exclusive interviews with leading oncologists over on vjoncology.com.